All right, good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started with our Sunday school class, and we'll open up with a quick word of prayer and jump right into it. Hopefully, we can finish our series this morning on uh, Joseph and Jesus and the parallels between the two. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day. We want to thank you, Lord, for what this day represents, a day to remember uh, our loved ones, our mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, all who served in the military, and uh, some of which paid the ultimate price for the freedoms and the privileges that we enjoy today. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be in and among us, uh, prepare our hearts and mind as if it was fertile soil, to be able to receive the seed of the word and help us as we study your word to know what it's trying to say to us so we can apply it to our lives. Help us to have a more intricate, uh, a, more, uh, a more knowledgeable uh, way about the word of God uh, so that we could relay this to others, so that we can increase our learning and our understanding because as we do, we draw closer to you. Your word represents your heart. The more we read it, the more we know it, the more we understand it, the more we have a deeper and closer and intimate relationship with you because that reveals your heart. Lord, help me as I speak this morning and teach. Help me to be concise and clear. And uh, we pray and ask and give thanks for these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, so continuing on with our study regarding Joseph and uh, how his life parallels with Jesus. And just a short recap, just want to remind you that one of the titles of Jesus as, as the Messiah is Mashiach ben Yosef, or Messiah son of Joseph. And Joseph always represents the suffering Messiah because in Judaism they had two Messiahs uh, that they believed came out of scriptures and they failed to realize that they were actually one and the same, that, they were, that the Messiah was going to come twice once he was going to come as Messiah, son of David, the conquering king, the next time he was, you know, another time he was going to come as Messiah, son of Joseph, the suffering servant. They, they, they kind of got it backwards and they failed to realize because uh, when Jesus came the first time, he came uh, during the Roman occupation where they desired to be free from the tyranny of Rome. And so they assumed that when the Messiah came, that he was going to come and free them from Roman oppression. They didn't realize that he came the first time to be that suffering servant. And uh, we know that he's going to come again. He's going to come again in the clouds on a white horse. He's going to come as a conquering king, and he's going to return as Messiah, son of David. All right, so let's get right into it. Uh, dealing with righteous judgment, Joseph spared the innocent Reuben. Reuben was the oldest. And uh, Joseph spared Reuben for the guilt of Simon or Simeon. He's the next oldest. So if you remember, it was Reuben that tried to save Joseph. You know, everybody wanted to kill him. And he said, no, 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 let's not kill him. He's our brother. Why don't we profit off this and let's sell him into slavery? And they threw him into pit. And so he was going to come back at a later point and rescue Joseph out of that pit. But when he came back, he was gone. And so Joseph spared Reuben. But he incarcerated Simeon because Simeon was one of the ringleaders, one of the ones that wanted to actually kill him and promote his death. So Simeon ended up spending several years in jail uh, under uh, arrest through his brother, Joseph, who was the uh, second in command, the viceroy of Egypt, unbeknownst to him. 
And so he was incarcerated until his brothers returned the next time. Now Jesus, Yeshua, is our perfect judge who can separate the sheep from the goats. Simeon got the worst land in the Negev when it came to the land inheritance, and Simeon was eventually absorbed into the tribe of Judah, and Levi didn't get any land at all. They became the priesthood. So in Genesis 42, 24, it says, He turned away from them and wept, speaking of Joseph, but when he returned to them, he spoke to them. He took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And in Matthew 25, 31 through 32, it says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then in John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Pharaoh had no part in the dealings with Joseph. He trusted everything to Joseph's care, and it's like the Heavenly Father has trusted everything to Yeshua's care. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to uh, to the Son, so that all honor, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. And if you remember, Pharaoh said, "You're going to be next to me. Everybody's going to respect you as they respect me. You're going to carry all of my weight, all my authority." He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And again, that was John 5, 22 and 23. And then in verse 27 of that same chapter, it says, "And he has given him Yeshua, the Messiah, authority to execute judgment." because he is the son of man. So also amazing grace was given to the wicked. Joseph returned his brother's food, money, and Jesus gave grace to us all. So in Genesis chapter 42, verses 27 and 28, it says, and one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, and he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of the sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they returned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? And in Romans 5, 6-11, through 11, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Messiah died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps... Uh, for the good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Another interesting parallel that occurs between Joseph and Jesus is that there was a breaking of bread and a foot washing together. So in Genesis 43, 24 through 25, it says, Then the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water, and they washed their feet. And he gave their donkeys fodder. So they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, and they had heard that they were going to eat a meal there. And in Genesis 43, uh, 34, it says, 
He, Joseph, took portions to them from his own table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much um, as theirs. So they feasted and drank with him freely. And in John 13, 5, it says, Then he, Jesus, Yeshua, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And Yeshua also gave food to the disciples from his own table because it was the Last Supper. It was the Passover Seder, the Passover meal. And he was the one who broke the bread and distributed it to everyone. And another amazing thing that, that's a parallel is that during the Passover Seder, it is traditional for the seating arrangement to be from the oldest to the youngest. So uh, a lot of scholars believe that the seating arrangement with the disciples in Jesus' day, that it was keeping with tradition at that time from the oldest to the youngest. And we also read in the Genesis account with Joseph and his brothers that his brothers marveled. They were astonished. Um, it says in Genesis 43:33, Now they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in astonishment. So there's another interesting, subtle parallel there. We also read in prophecy that the Messiah was to suffer outside of the city. And that was one way to indicate that he was Messiah. But Joseph also suffered outside of the city, uh, per se. Uh, so in Genesis 39.1, innocent Joseph suffered outside of the city because he was taken away into bondage, into captivity. And he was used and abused. And in Hebrews 13, 12, it says, Therefore, Yeshua also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the city gates. Um, okay. All right, continuing on. Innocent flesh was torn to pieces. You have the, the, uh, the animal, the goat or the, the, the lamb or whatever was used, to uh, uh, bamboozle their father into believing Joseph was dead, that animal was slaughtered, and then the blood of that animal was put on Joseph's uh, multicolored coat and given to the father as evidence of his death. And in like manner, Jesus, Yeshua, was scourged. So it says in Genesis 44, 28, and the, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. Now, it's very, you know, what, what the brothers did to the goat is exactly what they wanted to do to Joseph himself. But it was Reuben who stepped in and said, no, 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 let's not kill him. He's our brother, you know, and so they come up with this plan to sell him into slavery and fake his death. But the thing is, is what, what they did to the goat is exactly what they wanted to do to Joseph. And so uh, this was actually done to Jesus Christ, to Yeshua the Messiah. He was scourged. He was treated just like that scapegoat, just like a lamb to the slaughter. And in Mark 15, 15, it says, Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Yeshua scourged, handed him over to be crucified. Now, just a little tidbit here. Barabbas, what does that name mean? Bar Abbas. Bar meaning son, Abba meaning father. Yeah, Bar Jesus. Bar, uh, Barabbas was a false Messiah. Jesus was the true Bar Abba. He was the true son of the father. And Barabbas himself was a false son of the father. And both their names, it said, was to be Jesus. So it's very interesting. Uh, now, both Joseph and Yeshua 
was for, uh, forgave those that wronged them. In Genesis 45, 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And of course, you read on the story, it talks about how he was, we how he was weeping with them, how he hugged them and he received them. And uh, so he forgave them. And in Luke 23, 34, it says, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots and divided up his garments among themselves. So there's another interesting parallel that, that links Joseph to Jesus and, and further uh, elaborates on this, this uh, Jewish theology of, of Messiah, son of Joseph, uh, being the suffering servant and linking that to Messiah Yeshua. Both Joseph and Yeshua became the savior of the people. In Genesis 45.5, Joseph said, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And in Genesis 47.25, it says, So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And in Matthew 1.21, it says, She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save the people from their sins. That's what Jesus, that's what Yeshua means. It means God's salvation. And in 1 John 4, 14, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So it's interesting how the, the mentality of Joseph and, and Jesus were when they were used and abused. They knew that they were spared for a greater purpose. And as we read the accounts of Joseph, he starts out as a very cocky, arrogant young man. And uh, almost like he was kind of, uh, kind of deserved a little bit of uh, harassing from his brothers because he was so cocky and arrogant, showing off, being daddy's favorite and all this kind of stuff. But when he was taken into Egypt and uh, he was uh, a slave in Potiphar's house and was falsely accused of rape and then was put in the dungeon and you know was falsely suffered there. And then he became second in command of Egypt pretty much overnight because he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and Pharaoh put him in charge of uh, preparing the land for the seven years of famine by collecting all of the grain during the seven years of, of good. Uh, he realized that he was there for, for a, a greater purpose and that that suffering meant something. That suffering really kind of took Joseph down a couple notches and helped him to understand uh, the reality uh, of why he was there and, and why what happened to him happened. And in Yeshua's case, he was the son of God. He was perfect. He always had the right mindset. But in every instance he suffered, he had pity on those who were making him suffer. He felt sorry for them because he knew that they didn't understand or realize truly what they were doing. Now, Joseph and Yeshua suffered according to the predetermined plan of God. In Genesis 45, 5-7, it says, Joseph was saying, Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. And in Acts 2, 
23, it says, This man, being Yeshua, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and you have put him to death. And in Acts 3.18 it says, But the things which God announced beforehand by mouth, all of the prophets, that, that his Messiah would suffer, uh, he has thus fulfilled. And then finally in Ephesians 3.11, This was according to the eternal purpose which he carried out in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. And we can take a lesson from this because we're all going to go through trials and tribulations. We're all going to go through things that we don't understand health issues and loss of job or you know tragedies what have you but there's always a reason and a purpose behind them and we've got to keep that in mind and remember that that things just don't happen randomly and things are not out of control but God is on the throne he is in control and he has a purpose and usually the purpose for what we consider or deem as negative or bad things are actually used to make us stronger to make us better, to teach us lessons, just as Joseph suffered because he was a cocky little teenager. And God had to take him down a few notches through that suffering. And the Lord has taught me through my life humility and compassion on other people because I was teased relentlessly in, in school because I wasn't athletic, I wasn't popular, and because I was a Christian. But I could have let that harden my heart. I could have let that make me bitter. But instead, I took the attitude of Christ and saying, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And the Lord used those torments and teasing and taunting and those negative experiences to make me a stronger person. And it's helped forge who I am today. So I wouldn't trade those negative experiences for the world. And many times you'll see people who have been in a tragic car accident or who has gone through like a major health crisis and they suffered quite a bit with cancer treatments or what have you. And they come out on the other side and they don't regret it. It wasn't fun going through it, obviously, but through that suffering, the Lord taught them great many lessons, and it made them a stronger and a better person for it. Uh huh. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, and we get we get too comfortable. When things are going well, we get too comfortable. We don't pray as much. We don't read the Bible as much because things are going well. And it's when things go bad, we suddenly pray more and read the Bible more. But we should always read and pray the Bible just the same as, as if it was good or bad times, you know. We can't treat... Yeah, and, and it's good to have a routine and have consistency like that. But, you know... Yeah. So, you know, be careful when things are going well for you because it's, Satan might be setting up a trap. <laughs> things are going too well. We have to be on our guard. Yeah, we have to be on our guard. Well said. Well said. So uh, there was self-anger and sorrow in hurting Joseph, and there was self-anger and sorrow in hurting Yeshua. Because in Genesis 45, 5, uh, Joseph says, now don't, he said this to his brothers, now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And the, there's a scripture, I can't remember where it is, but it says what, what uh, Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. God is always able to turn around, turn the tables on the enemy. Whatever the enemy tries to use to defeat us or to hamper us or to harass us or to persecute us or oppress us, God turns that trial into a blessing if we allow it and if we let it. And in Acts... 
chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Yeshua whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there's another passage that I, uh, that's not written down on this list that uh, I discovered later. And I want to try to find that reference if it doesn't take too much time. Okay. I can't find it right off, but I think I pretty much know the gist of it. In Zechariah 12.10 is a prophecy which talks about how they, they will look on him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as an only child and weep bitterly as one weeps over a firstborn. So again, this shows the self-anger and sorrow that the Jewish people will have when Messiah returns, and they realized, oh, he was the one that was Messiah all along. We just didn't see it. We were blinded to it. Why were they blinded to it? Because Jesus looks like a Gentile to them because of the way that Christians portray him. He's got a white toga with some sort of blue or red sash. He's got blonde hair or brown hair. He's got light skin, a Roman nose, blue eyes. You know, I mean, the, he doesn't look Jewish. He doesn't act Jewish according to the way that Christians teach because they don't know the Hebraic traditions behind what was written in the, the, the Renewed Covenant, the New Testament. And so just as Joseph wasn't recognizable by his brothers because he looked like an Egyptian, he, he looked like an Egyptian, dressed like an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian, and he walked like an Egyptian. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> A little uh, nod to the bangles there. Um, and so they didn't recognize him. And so they were shocked when, when uh, uh, Joseph said, I am your brother Joseph. And possibly, maybe one of the only ways they would believe him was to see that he was circumcised like they were. Who knows? But they were shocked. And, and so when the Jewish people finally recognized that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, and it's up to us to show them the, the Jewishness of Jesus. Because of 2,000 years of, of Gentile Christianity, it has painted Jesus in a very Gentile way. We have created Jesus in our own Western image. And we need to bring him back to the Hebraic Jewish understanding of who the Messiah really was and is. And so that's why I try very hard to uh, teach you and to open up the, the, the doors to the more Hebraic understanding of the New Testament and of who Jesus uh, was and is. And uh, so when he returns, they're going to automatically recognize him as the Jewish Messiah and realize that they crucified him. All right, moving on. First news that Joseph slash Jesus were alive was not believed. Jacob would not believe that Joseph was alive, and the disciples would not believe Mary when she reported that Jesus was alive. So I think this is an interesting parallel too. In Genesis 45, 26, they told him saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. And could you blame Jacob? I, I can't blame him. I mean, that's like too good to be true. That's like me walking in here and saying, hey, I just won you know, the, lot the lottery. I I'm a millionaire. Uh huh, yeah, right, you know? And so Joseph, being alive for one thing, not only just being alive, it might have been believable to say he was alive, but to say he was ruler of Egypt, 
That's way too hard to believe. That would be like me coming in here and saying, hey, guess what, everybody? I just became the mayor of Plaster Rock. You guys would be like, yeah, right, you know? What drug are you on? And so uh, Jacob doubted, and I can, nobody can blame him. Now in Luke 24, 10 through 11, it says, Now there was Mary Magdalene and Johanna and Miriam, Mary, the mother of James, which actually James in the Hebrew is Jacob, Yaakov. Also the other women that were with them were telling them these things to the apostles, but their words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. So they were so grieved and stunned over Jesus's crucifixion, his death, his violent death, and they were mourning the loss of their rabbi, mourning the loss of the Messiah, mourning the loss of all their hopes and dreams. And then these women come in saying Jesus is alive. Well, culturally, women didn't have as much weight in court in regards to their testimony. They weren't as readily believed as a male witness and that was just a cultural thing back then and since they weren't there to see it you know they knew that the women were grieving and they thought oh they're just probably hysterical they're just it's a mass hallucination like what are they talking what 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 they're talking about doesn't even make sense nobody comes back from the dead which is odd because they've seen lazarus return from the dead and they've seen other times where jesus performed the miraculous so we also read uh, let's see all right, here's another. Yeah? Wow. So there's, a, there's the other passage regarding the resurrection. It says, Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, whom he had cast out seven demons, and she reported to those uh, who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. So uh, we have another instance there. Uh, all right, moving on. There's substitutionary atonement. There was innocent Joseph, an innocent Messiah, suffered for guilty brethren. So in Genesis 50, 17 through 18, it says, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Uh, and then Isaiah 53.4, surely our, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. So there's another parallel. So we also see that evil was turned into a blessing. In Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result, to preserve many uh, people alive. And in 1 Peter 2, 24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his words you were healed. Another parallel is comforting those who betrayed him. The disciples were comforted after abandoning Jesus at the cross, except John. He was the only one that was brave enough to be there. So we read in Genesis 50 verse 21, 
So therefore, do not be afraid. This is what Joseph is saying. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, human nature would say, you did something to me. I'm going to do something equally as bad back to you. Tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, cut for cut, burn for burn. So naturally, his brothers were thinking that Joseph was holding a grudge all these years against him, especially the way he treated them when they thought he was an Egyptian. Now, people, people often say, well, Joseph was probably getting revenge on them because he was just toying with them and playing a game. No, that wasn't the purpose of Joseph treating his brothers roughly. He treated his brothers roughly because it was a litmus test to see if his brothers were still the same men that he knew when they sold him into slavery into Egypt, or had they had a change of heart? Had they become softer? Had they become repentant? Had they become men of honor? So this was a test to see if they were uh, regretful. Uh, and remorseful for what they did to him way all those years back. And so he formulated these, these tests uh, to, 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 to see. And after he was convinced that they were sorrowful, were remorseful, and knew that they did wrong, then he revealed himself to his brothers um, who he really was. So we see in Genesis 50, 21 that Joseph comforted his brothers, reassured them, look, I'm not out to get you. I'm not going to you know, get, you, get back at you. But they didn't believe it. And they still didn't believe it because when their father Jacob died, they made up this story that, that we just read in this past verse where they went to Joseph and say, now father said this before he died. He said, please forgive your brothers for what they did to you. That was unnecessary. They were still afraid that somehow, some way, Joseph was going to get them back. Because it's just fallen human nature to get somebody back, especially when you, you want to get revenge. And there's a whole Hollywood genre of movies, of revenge movies. One of the earliest revenge movies that I enjoy watching, it's my favorite Clint Eastwood movie, is Hang 'em High. Uh, Clint Eastwood played a character that was falsely accused of stealing cattle. And these group of guys ganged up on him and strung him up and hung him. Well, somebody saw him hanging and cut him down and resuscitated him. And so his mission in life was to get all those guys who hung him, you know, falsely accused him and hung him. So he killed, it was revenge. So it's natural human nature, fallen human nature to want revenge. But that wasn't what was in Joseph's heart. And so he, re, he assured, reassured them over and over and over, yet they didn't believe Joseph. And, you know, maybe the same could be said about the Jewish people because Jesus was crucified. Maybe they'll think, well, you know, is he really going to forgive us? But in John 20, verse 19, so when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were closed and were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Yeshua came and stood in the midst of them and said, Shalom Aleichem, peace be unto you. So after, you know, after uh, Christ's suffering, uh, Yeshua comforted his disciples, uh, just as Joseph comforted his brothers after the ordeal. Now the other parallel is after... Uh, Joseph and Yeshua became king. Both began uh, summing up all, uh, summing all things up, making um, you know Pharaoh slash God all in all. And so I want to read to you Genesis forty seven, thirteen through twenty. It says, "Now there was no food in the land of there was now there was no food at all in the land because the famine was very severe." so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. 
Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they had bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with the food in exchange for all the livestock of that year. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and our cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our land." Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us in our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph brought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every Egyptian sold his field, because there was, the famine was so severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. Now it says in Ephesians 1.10, With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Messiah, things in heaven and things on earth in him. So just as Joseph uh, gathered everything of Egypt and presented it unto Pharaoh, and everything became Pharaoh's, everything from the land to the people to the cattle, it's similar with Yeshua. You know, when we're saved, I mean, God owns this world anyway. God says, I own the cattle of a thousand hills. It's, it's all his anyway, but right now it's under the managerial authority of the prince and power of the air because this fallen world is run by the evil one, but ultimately it's God's. And when you're saved, you know, God not only gets you, God gets everything that belongs to you because we serve him. We become his servants. And Paul said it best. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I am a slave of Jesus Christ, meaning I'm not my own. Everything that I am and everything that I have is his. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew language, you cannot have anything. There is no, no word for have in the Hebrew language. So even the Hebrews, the Jewish people, recognize that everything that we have is on loan from us, from God. Because, you know, God is a good God. He's, he, you know, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And so everything that we have is on loan to Him. And even our children, because we're to give our firstborn to God. We're to give our first of our produce, the first of our flocks to God. So everything's God's anyway, and that, that's kind of the parallel there. But it also says in Colossians 1, 17 through 20, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for um, all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. All right, now, the Hebrews under Joseph and Christians under Christ were exempt from losing their blessing their blessings, but enjoyed all physical and spiritual blessings while the rest suffered. 
In Genesis 47, 27, it says, Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. So whereas Pharaoh owned the Egyptians and owned everything, it's like the Israelites uh, had physical blessings, uh, and they were exempt from uh, any wrath of Pharaoh per se. And in Ephesians 1.3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Whatever was Joseph's was his brother's. Joseph shared what he had with his brothers. So as Joseph, Joseph was wealthy, his brothers became wealthy because he shared that wealth. And, and, and because we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus, whatever Jesus has, we have access to. And we are blessed in that same way. Revelation 12, 5 and 6 says, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Uh, then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that she would be nourished for uh, 1,260 days. So that is all of the parallels, uh, about 70, give or take, 70 different parallels that is linking Joseph and his life and what happened in his life to that of Yeshua the Messiah and what happened in his life. So I think that just kind of beautifully uh, sets us up for the story of Joseph that we're going to be tackling next week. We're going to actually get into the passage into the chapters dealing with his life and the events of his life and break all that stuff down. But now you have a good, uh, a, a good foreknowledge of who Joseph was, what happened to him. So as we read through the passages, it'll mean much more to you and you'll make the connections much, much quicker. Uh, you can find a short version of what we went through on the Jews for Jesus website. If you go to their website, and go to the search engine and put a comparison between Joseph and Jesus, that PDF file uh, should come right up and you could save it and you can um, um, you know, uh, run it off or photocopy it or whatever you want to do. It's pretty much the same thing we've covered, but it's a more condensed version of that. And so that might be good that you want to keep in your notes and keep in your files or something that you might want to reference every once in a while or something that you might want to share with a family member or friend. All right, so uh, we're, we're done just a little bit early today, so let's just go ahead and uh, close with a word of, word of prayer, and we'll just enjoy fellowship until our morning service. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the past several weeks that we've covered uh, the life of Joseph and comparing it to the life of Christ. And I know that there's over a hundred different parallels, but we only covered about 70 and uh, we could have probably extended this for another week, but we're really eager to get back into the scripture, back into the passages themselves, and look at the story and look at the narrative and to break it down and to understand it as best we can. But we thank you for this uh, uh, um, precursor to those chapters so that as we read, our minds will go back to what we just learned about the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. And those things will come out and pop out very clearly, and we'll understand these passages and these scriptures and this narrative much, much better. And Lord, we just thank you for that. And again, it just testifies that your book is a supernatural book. Uh, there is, uh, it's beyond statistical odds that somebody's life 4,000 years ago 
would compare with somebody's life 2,000 years ago, how it would almost parallel and match almost exactly to a T. That's just beyond statistical odds. So we know that this is supernatural. We know this is prophetic. And we know that this is a fulfillment of your word. And even the rabbis and sages have volumes and volumes of commentary uh, who they found this this uh, parallel first, and they've really drawn it out in a lot of the rabbinic texts and passages and scriptures, and we get the privilege to kind of glean from that. So, Lord, uh, it, it's sad that they have yet to see that Yeshua is the fulfillment of that, but at least they recognize that the Messiah was going to be like Joseph, was going to be a suffering servant. And if just believers in Messiah Yeshua would come to them and show them that, no, it's not this Gentile guy that that, that you think he is, He's actually the Jewish Messiah. He's, he's just like Joseph in Egyptian garb. He's, he's in disguise. But what you said about Joseph and him being the suffering Messiah parallels exactly to who we know and who you know to be Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. And so, Lord, we pray that, uh, Father, you would open the eyes of our Jewish brothers and sisters who are blinded to the fact that Jesus is Messiah, that you would soften their hearts and work upon their hearts and upon their minds and help them uh, to be prepared to receive the, the truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation. When they get saved, they don't have to change a thing. They can keep living uh, with the Jewish customs and traditions, but they know who the Messiah is. They know that uh, where their atonement comes from. You didn't come to change a religion. You came to save souls. And so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. And I think a lot of Jewish people are afraid of losing their cultural identity, their, uh, their, their, their um, ethnicity, and, and their uh, religious identity. And, Lord, you don't want any of that. Even the Apostle Paul was still a Pharisee after he converted. He said, I am a Pharisee of Pharisees. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't change a thing. You know, he just, he just found out who the Messiah was. He didn't really change his theology all that much. And uh, so, Lord, uh, I pray that you would just deal with the heart of the Jewish nation, that, Father, many can be brought to you before the return of Messiah. And, Lord, we love you and we praise you and ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.